subtitle of our Proverbs series is Life Live Full. We get this from Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 through 2 that say this, My son, don't forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commands, for they will bring you many days and look a full life and well-being. And so, so far from what the, like, the vantage point that we've looked at Proverbs has been more at a personal level. So I think a lot of times we come to the Bible and uh, particularly, particularly the Proverbs and we're looking at them for like insight into our own life. But I want us to come at a different, advantage, at a different vantage point tonight. And I want that to be that we're considering someone else and that someone else is our kids. So I say our, meaning like, yes, ours in your own home, but also for us as a church, our kids. Because what you see throughout the Bible is that the church is actually God's household. It's a faith family. And so I want us to really look at this subtitle of Life Live Full from a vantage point of how do we help our kids catch a vision and a picture and instruct them and raise them and what the Bible has to say about a life live full, all right? So the purpose of Proverbs is to impart wisdom. That's what King Solomon has written the whole book for. He's written down a number of wisdom sayings so that he can give them, pass them down to his children. And that's the position I want us to consider tonight. And so if you look at the Bible, you see two contexts by which you see wisdom imparted or disseminated in the life of other people. And those two contexts are the home and the church. So if you were to view discipleship like as a bike, the two pedals that make the bike go would be the home and the church, all right? So we see this in the Bible, see this in the Old Testament and the New Testament. So Deuteronomy chapter 6 gives you a vision for the home. This is what Deuteronomy 6 verses, uh, I think it's 5 through 7 say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These, this is like the command, this is the vision for God's people, right? These words that I am giving you today are to be in your heart. Look at this. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them with you. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. And so it's trying to give you this holistic vision of like, no matter what you're doing in your house, this is stuff that you should be working into your conversations at any point in time in your day. This is what it's to look like in raising up kids and discipling them in the home. But then we also get a picture of discipleship in the New Testament as well for the church, Matthew 28. This is just before Jesus is about to ascend to heaven. He leaves a final instruction for his followers who will eventually become the church. And here's what he says. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and what? Make disciples of all nations. So working to bring these two together at Storyline about a month ago, we did a child dedication here um, where we got up and we made this partnership between both the home and the church public. So this is the picture of us doing that. Um, we had, I think it was five different kiddos that were dedicated on this particular Sunday. And we made two commitments. There's two commitments that were made that Sunday. One that was made by the parent 
and then one that was made by you, the church, all right? And so I'm going to have these up on the screen so you can be reminded of them. So for parents, here's what you committed to. This is what you said yes to. Parents, will you commit to passionately pursue and point your children to Jesus with love and faithfulness and the help of this church community? That's the the partnership, that's the commitment that parents made in loving their kids and raising them up under the authority of Christ in their home. But then the church, you committed to these families as well. Here's what you said. You answered yes to this. Do you, the people of the Lord, promise to reach these children in love, pray for them, help instruct them in the faith, and encourage and sustain them in this fellowship of believers? All right? So we made this mutual commitment before the church, the church to the families, the home to the church, And here's what I want us to do tonight. I want us to envision what this can look like, a little bit more fleshed out for us as a church. So tonight, what I want us to do is I want us to spend our time looking at the two contexts of discipleship. We're going to take some time to look at the home, and then we're going to take some time to look at the church. And as we do this, my prayer is that we kind of catch a vision, not just like a vision from me, but hopefully I'm bringing you God's word in such a way that you catch a vision of what Jesus has in mind for a partnership between the home and the church and raising and discipling our kids in the goodness of the gospel. Sound good? All right. So let's start with the home, all right? So the book of Proverbs gives us a different idea of what the home can be from what we typically hear from society, all right? So society almost puts like this ultimatum on you as you're thinking about raising kids in the life of our society and that ultimatum is, are you going to have a traditional home or are you going to have a modern home, right? So traditional meaning that you focus on strict discipline, that there's a high sense of control that goes on in the life of your home. Uh, You see, I mean, you can think about all the old sitcoms that you hear, like all the SWATs, the the parents and the the teachers would, you go find your switch, right? And you would get a spanking um, whenever you came back in for the wrongs that you did. And so there was like the, you're almost going to beat the bad out of them is what I think a lot of our society kind of puts forth. But then you also hear about modern type of homes, which meaning that your primary focus is on support and helping your kids discover themselves with an emphasis on like affirmation within the life of your home. And look, I I think the book of Proverbs is giving you a bigger vision and a bigger goal of what your home can actually be. And this is what I think it's trying to say. The home exists to teach and train children to be wise and righteous. It's not about a sense of control in the home for a parent, and it's not about just affirmation and just trying to build them up. You have a bigger vision, and that's a teaching them and training them of what it looks like to live with wisdom and righteousness in this world. We said that wisdom in the very first sermon of the series is the ability to live in God's world in God's way. And in the home, you're trying to help your kids catch a vision of what it looks like to live under the rule of God in partnership with him as you walk and you live in this world in the way that he created it and the way that we are to function and to be. And that's what we're looking at in the book of Proverbs. We've been trying to wrestle with what it looks like for us to do that in ourselves, but now we're trying to think what does it look like for us to teach and instruct our kids 
in this very same way. And this is exactly what Proverbs 22 gets at in the two verses that we read. I'll read them again so we, we can have a little bit of a refresher now that I kind of set things up for us. All right, so verse six, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. And then 15, foolishness is bound to the heart of a youth. A rod of discipline will separate it from him. All right, so there's a lot that you can say about these two verses. And I, I promise you I've read a, most of it this week because it's like trying to get my head around this um, has felt pretty daunting, all right? But I, I want to focus on three things, all right? So here's the first one. I want us to focus on that our children need Jesus. Our children need Jesus. So look at the very beginning of verse 15. It says, foolishness is bound to the heart of the youth. See, this is where discipleship starts in the home. It's with the idea that as much as we love to see and we, like we see our kids as sweet and precious, the reality of what the, the, the natural uh, origin of their hearts is, is that they are prone to sin, right? This is why Solomon writes, foolishness is bound to the heart of a youth. Kids possess an innocence, but they're not innocent. You know what I'm saying? There's an innocence in that they're trying to learn and figure out things in this world. But what the Bible tells us, no matter how much you want to hear from society that kids are born with a pure heart, the Bible tells us is that there's this original sin that all of us inherit when we're born into this world. We're prone to sin. Tim Keller puts foolishness like this is how he defines it. Foolishness is to be destructively out of touch with the reality of God's created order. This is the tendency of every child's heart, all right? So I have four of them, <laughs> all right? I see this in our house constantly. So right now for us, um, Shepherd, our almost two-year-old, um, we have pretty slippery steps that are in our living room area. And what, is, what does our Shepherd want to go to on a regular basis? He wants to go to the stairs. He wants to go to the steps. So it's not bad that he wants to go and he wants to climb up the steps where it crosses over into disobedience is whenever he knows what he's doing and he chooses to do it anyway. This is the heart that's prone to sin. And so what this looks like for us is he'll go over to the steps and we'll say, no, shepherd, stay down. And then he'll look, he'll give us the like peek over the shoulder kind of thing. You know what I'm talking about? The peek over the shoulder. He does that and then he'll step up on one and then look back at us and see what our response is gonna be. And so we'll tell him, and tell him hey, get back down. So he'll say, sit. And so he'll sit on this step and then he'll sit and wait, and then he'll go up to the next one and look at us and shepherd, get down, and he just sit, and he keeps making his way up. He knows exactly what he's doing. He does. He doesn't necessarily know the consequences of his actions. He doesn't know the whole scope of what's happening as he's doing this, but his heart is prone to sin, and that's what Song, the, that's what Solomon is saying to us as he says, foolishness is bound to the heart of the youth. And so look, they need the, this is what we, this is why, this is where parenting and the home starts is because we need to help our kids understand that they have a heart that's prone towards sin and the consequences of what that sin is, that it breaks relationship, not just relationship between other people on this earth, but it breaks relationship between us and God. That's a big deal. The Bible says this is what we were created for is relationship with God and sin breaks that relationship. But also, 
in conjunction with that, we also need them to teach and instruct them what God's answer to sin is, which is Jesus. So our kids need Jesus, and we need to be a people that point them to Jesus. And so look, the regular rhythm of what this needs to look like in our home is that we highlight the love and welcome that God has for broken sinners. That's what we need to put forth. That's the thing that we need to to continue to come back to in the life of the home is that, look, you have this God, one of the most biggest, one of the most recognized pictures that we have of God is the prodigal son. And one of uh, the pastors that has written on this, he entitled a book, Prodigal God, because it's God that actually spends all of his resources on broken sinners that come back to him. The picture is a God that is a father that has seen a son that's turned away. He's coming close. He picks up the rope. He runs after him, embraces him, forgives him, and lavishes his love on him. This is who our God is. And so look, whenever our kids sin, yes, we need to point out the consequences of sin. We need to help them understand the reality of sin. But we also need to, we don't stop there. You need to continue to come present the good news of Jesus that, look, you're a person that's prone to sin, but you need Jesus. And good, the good, look, the goodness of God is that he expended Jesus for you. So that we see this at the very beginning in Proverbs um, 22 verse 15 but then this is where the parents come in a bit more second is that parents are God's tool to point them to Jesus all right we see this in the latter half of twenty two fifteen, and bear with me because um, this is where it gets a little fun all right so a rod of discipline will separate it from him all right now I know there's a lot of concern over this phrase in the book of Proverbs and understandably so right Child abuse is a gross and gruesome sin. It is. In this verse, this phrase has commonly been used by other people in order to give credence to a a brutality in the life of the home. But you can't get there if you look at the whole concept and the whole context of the book of Proverbs. If you look at the other parental addresses, there's a love and warmth that's in the address between father and son throughout all the book of Proverbs to where you can't get there. You just can't. You, like, you're unfaithful to this phrase if you're saying that this is just a way that you can get away with beating your kid. It just doesn't work. It doesn't work, all right? Now, that's not to say that there's a time and place for correction. Um, the Proverbs actually say that a lack of that shows that you actually hate your children. So there is a time and a place for correction, but it's never to be out of anger or brutality, period. It doesn't have a place in the life of your home. But that's also not what this passage is saying, all right? So how the, the way that I want us to look at this, there's an author, Bruce Waltke, if you can say that, Bruce Waltke. Um, he actually talks about how the rod is more than just this uh, tool of discipline at the point in time that Solomon writes the book of Proverbs. It's actually also a symbol of authority. All right? So yes, this rod was used to correct um, like in the life of society, but holistically, the society saw the rod as more than just something, a tool. It was also a symbol of authority that would bring correction to the overall society. And look, parents, you are God's placed authority in the life of your home for your kids. You're God's placed authority. And this authority is to help separate 
this folly that is attached to their hearts that we see from the very outset of their life. So look, put the two together, all right? Put the first phrase and the second phrase together. So foolishness is bound to the heart of a youth. Bound meaning it's like it's knit in there, right? It's knit to it. And then the rod of discipline is what separates this folly from him. So look, you can't take a garment with a string that's been woven into it and beat it out with a rod, can you? That's not how it works. You don't, you don't separate something that's woven together by just trying to beat it. What do you have to do? You have to give time, and you have to give patience, and you have to get really precise in how you're getting something, the string out, and then making the garment right again. And that's the picture that you're getting with this verse. There's this sense of authority that the parent has in the life of the home and you're to help this child that has folly bound to their heart and getting it unknit so that they can then make way, make the right path through life. And so look, this is what this means for you as a parent in the light of Jesus and the coming of Jesus for us as parents. This means that we are pointing to our children, yes, there is a folly in your life. And whenever we're talking about their disobedience in their life, it means that we're constantly coming back to the point that there is someone who has actually obeyed rightly for you. So it's not just that, hey, get this right. You need to get rid of these patterns in your life, and then things are going to be good. That's not what we do as parents if we want to raise them up in the goodness of the gospel in our home. No, we do it in the light of Jesus. And so look, whenever we're working with our kids in the, the discipline that they need in their life, in the folly that's bound to their hearts, we're not just trying to beat it out of them. That's not what the rod of discipline is doing here. There is a sense of discipline and punishment that happens in the life of the home, but it's always in the context of the warmth and love and culture that you cultivated as the family that you see throughout the rest of the parental addresses. And so if you want to have a sense of hope for your kids as you're trying to help them unbind their hearts to the folly that has been woven in, it's not by beating them, whether it be physically or with your words, it's pointing them to the goodness of the reality that someone has done something that they could never do for themselves. So that means like, hey, whenever there's sin that happens in the life of your home, you take the time, you're patient, you're precise in helping them see the sin that's rooted in their hearts and then getting down into the nitty gritty to try to help them uproot it and see the goodness of who Jesus is and the better picture that God has for them in the light of what Jesus has done. See what I'm saying? So the first one, our children need Jesus. There's foolishness, foolishness that's bound to their hearts. Second, parents are God's tool to point them to Jesus. They're this sign of authority in the life of the home, but they get into the nitty gritty of what it looks like to uproot sin in their life and point them to Jesus who's performed perfectly in their place. And then lastly, God has a pattern for the home. So go to verse six. It says, train up a child in the way he should go. All right, so Deuteronomy chapter six says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And remember the primary place, remember what the instruction was with the kids, teach them, instruct them, remind them. The book of Proverbs says that wisdom starts with a fear of the Lord. If you wanna live a full life, 
Where's the place that you start? Well, you start with the fear of the Lord. Also, that can be translated that you love the Lord God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. It requires all of you. And the place that you build this up, the place that you train your kids to do this, the primary context for that is in the life of the home, according to what we see in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And here's what training requires of you. It requires both your modeling and your instruction, which means it needs your life and your words. It needs your life and your words. So look, our kids need to see what faith looks like by the way that we live our life. This does not mean that they need your perfection, all right? That's not what the Bible is trying to get at here. What your kids need to see is that whenever you're preaching repentance to them as they have failed and you're trying to help them see and catch a vision for what it looks like to move forward, they need to see you model it. So whenever you're talking about training them up, it means mom and dad fail and you talk about that and you let your kids know that I'm imperfect. That whenever you don't come with patience in the way that you discipline, that it means that you're quick to come and ask forgiveness. When they see mom and dad in the home, they have an argument. What do they need to see from mom and dad? They need to see repentance that's modeled. Whenever they see it in relationships that happen in community because the church is full of imperfect people, amen? They need to see it modeled in the way that we carry this out between our relationships here in the life of our church. They need to see what it looks like for us to forgive. It's not just this condescending, shame-ridden culture that we have in the life of our church. When they come, it's like we're quick to forgive. We model the goodness of our Father that come, when they come and they ask for our forgiveness, man, we swoop them up in the arms. You know what I'm saying? They need to see it modeled. But look, they also need our instruction. They do. That Deuteronomy 6, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Teach them. Teach them what it looks like. Don't just model it. Teach, get in there. And so look, here's kind of what I want for us as we think about this. Like if I'm giving you like some ideas of how you can put this into practice, right? One, you need to have a plan, right? You need to have a plan. What does this look like for me in the life of my home? How do I help my kids see that they need Jesus? How do I function as the tool of grace in my kid's life and pointing them to Jesus? How do I build a culture in the life of my home where I'm training them up in the goodness of Jesus? You have to have a plan. You don't fall into it. You have to have some intentionality that takes place in the life of your home that's pointing them in this direction. So John Tyson, I'm reading a book called The Intentional Father that he wrote. He has four questions that I found really helpful. I want to just give them to you here, all right? So here's what he says. First one is this. He, before I dive into this, all right, he, he's writing these questions on the basis of at the time that your kid turns 18 and they're leaving your home, they have their bags packed, they're about to head off to college or to go to whatever their next step would be, all right? Um, what is at that moment as it's filled with tears and hugs and you're sending them on the way, in that moment, what would give you the confidence that they're ready to go off and be a mature adult? What are the things that you need to do in your home to help them prepare for the moment that whenever you're doing the hugging and you're doing the crying, you're doing the embracing because they're about to leave the home, how do you build a plan based off of what you want them to be ready for whenever they leave the home? That's where the context of these four questions come from. So here's his four questions. He says this, what do you want your child to know about God, about his or herself, and about life? 
What are the essentials that they need to know before they go out into the world? Look, as soon as they leave your house, especially if they're going off to a college environment, their faith is going to be attacked. It is. I, I don't care if they're going to a Christian school or a non-Christian school. Their faith is going to be attacked. How are you helping raise them up to where they know the truth of God's word, what God has said about them, the love and embrace that they've received in Jesus Christ and the finality of that on them? What do you want them to know about themselves in light of what Jesus has done for them? What do they need to know about life before they step out into the world? And how does that play into the overall plan of how you're raising up and you're discipling your kid in the life of your home? That's the first one. Second one, what sort of character do you want your child to exhibit? A couple of weeks ago, we talked about integrity and how we have a culture that puts resume virtues over eulogy virtues in the life of our society. We want our people, we want like the overall sense of our society is we want success rather than character. But that's not the way that the Bible talks about our walk in life with God here in this world. And so what sort of character you want your child to exhibit? What are you going to do to help them cultivate that in the life of your home? You're the primary context. That's where it's built up. So what are you going to do? How are you going to help them get this instilled in their life? Third, what skills do you want your child to possess? So um, this is like the realities of just doing actual real life. Do they need to know how to cook? Right? I, here's, here's my college experience. I left the home. I burnt microwavable mac and cheese in my apartment. My, my apartmates were not great. Like, they did not care for that. And so I, I didn't have uh, the best idea of how to cook for myself. Um, what do you want your child to possess before they leave? Like, what are the skills that they need to know? Last one, what formational experiences do you want your child to have? What are the things that you're going to do with your child that are going to create the moments and the memories in their home that are going to call them back. One of the, the pastors that um, I've really looked to when it comes to thinking about parenting and the life of the home, is he says the one goal that they have in the life of their home is that they want their kids to come back and for their kids to want to hang out with one another without them there. Like that's the goal of their home, that they would just come back. What are the, what are the experiences that you're working to have with your kids that's going to help such a climate that when they leave, that you don't have to force them to come back, but they want to come back. Look, for you to have an answer to all of this, you have to have a plan. You have to sit down and think through it. So take the questions, go home, wrestle with them, build a plan. But secondly, here's the reality, all right? Proverbs are not promises, they're wise sayings, all right? So here's the reality of our raising kids in this world. Our kids are going to be a result, one, of their, their nature, the type of heart that they had whenever they were born into this world. Two, their nurture, that is where the things that we do in the life of their home. And then third, the decisions that, that they make. You have control over one. <laughs> you have control over one which means there's a complexity that's happening there to who our kids will grow up to be that is way out of our hands and out of our control. But here's the good news. It's not out of the control of your God. So the second thing is that you pray. <laughs> You're a parent that prays for your kids. You're intentionally looking at the life of your kids, the things that you're trying to build up and instill in the, their life. You're also praying over them. And here's, what, here's a quote that I found um, as I was doing research. Elise Fitzgerald actually quoted this in her book, Give Them Grace. And so it's like a quote of a quote. So here we go. It's a little long, but it's great. So Paul Miller said this. It took me 17 years to realize I couldn't parent on my own. 
It was not a great spiritual insight, just a realistic observation. If I didn't pray deliberately and reflectively for members of my family by name every morning, they'd kill each other. Can I get amen? I was incapable of getting inside their hearts. Man, I felt that one. I was desperate, but even more, I couldn't change my self-confident heart. I came to realize that I did my best parenting by prayer. I began to speak less to the kids and more to God. And look at what he says. It was actually quite relaxing. So look, if we want to have a culture in our home where we're raising our kids up and giving them a vision of what life lived full looks like, it's helping our kids understand that they need Jesus. Stepping into the role that God has given you, being the tool pointing them to Jesus, and then trying to help create the environment where there's training up in the good truths of the gospel, and the good truths of the Bible, of what it looks like to live with God under the rule of God here in this world. And you do that, you build a plan, and then you pray your guts out. <laughs> so that's the first pedal to the bike of discipleship in the home. Now, here's the reality, all right? You can try to pedal a bike with just one pedal. And you can do it, right? If you push really hard enough, like you can get it to go down and then it'll come back up and you can do it over and over again. But what happens? That leg is burning on fire, right? <laughs> it does not feel good. And you can never use the full capability of a bike if you're just using one pedal. And so it is with the idea of discipleship. If you're just trying to do it in your home, but you're doing it without the context of the church, you're never going to reach the full capacity of what discipleship could be for your kids. It just can't. For those that are prioritizing like travel ball and sports and extracurriculars above get, having their kids a part of the church, look, you're killing the discipleship that can happen in the life of your child. You are. You're killing it. So I want to take some time to also look at the church, all right? So here's the reality. Um, the sermons that I listen to on this subject, this is the point where they try to make a really big deal about their kids' ministry and all that the kids' ministry is going to do for your kid, and you need to get into kids' ministry, you need to serve in kids', kids ministry, and look, I, I want us to have a place where kids are being instructed in the life of our church. That's something that we want, and I do want you to be in the life of that ministry, being there, instructing them, teaching them, showing what it looks like. But that's not the focus that I want to focus on when it comes to the idea of the church here because here's the thing. I think it leaves an impression that all it takes is about an hour out of your week for us to fulfill this as the life of a church. I think that falls way short. I just do. I don't think that's what the Bible has in mind when it comes to the church and what it can look like in a partnership in the home. And I think you get that from the very onset of when the church was initiated. So look with me at Acts chapter 2, verses 46 through 47. Here's the picture. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple. Here's what's happened. Peter has stood up. The Holy Spirit has come down on about 200 people. They start speaking in tongues in such a way that it didn't matter what language you spoke, you could understand what they were saying. They come, they're like, what's going on? And Peter just basically gets up and gives this massive gospel presentation and thousands of people come to faith in Christ and now you have a church. And so what the picture is, is after this experience, this is what the life within that church was like every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple 
and they broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. So look, the scene here is quite more intimate than serving in a classroom just once a week for about an hour out of your week. What does it say? That they, they prioritized gathering in the temple and in homes, that they shared meals with one another, they devoted themselves to the biblical teaching and prayer. And look, where were the kids when all this was happening? They didn't like shove them off in a room. The kids were there. The kids are a part of it. They're part of the gatherings that are happening in the temple. They're part of the family meals that were happening within homes. They were part of the prayer meetings that were taking place. They were part of the devotion to the preaching of the Bible that was taking place amongst the life of the church. And all of this was happening on a day-to-day basis. Not one hour out of your week, there's like this intentionality, there's this actual family feel to what's going on in the life of the church. And as the church relates intimately as a family, the book of Proverbs, I think, gives us insight to what this could look like for us today in the home and the church. All right, so here's the two things I want us to think about when it comes to the partnership that can happen between the church and the family tonight. One is encouragement, and the second is a third voice, all right? And I'll explain what that third voice means here in a a moment, all right? So the first one is is encouragement. Let's look at a couple of Proverbs. Verses uh, 23 and 11. I forget what the actual chapter is. Hopefully, no, it won't be up there. So you can go find it. Um, Here we go. Yeah, that's not the right, that's not the right one. I'll I'll read it out. Hopefully it can get up there. So verse 23, a person takes joy in giving an answer in a timely word, how good that is. And then uh, the next verse, a word spoken at the right time is like gold apples in silver settings. So one of the best ways the church can partner with the home is encouragement, all right? So the pro- as the Proverbs say, a timely word is a gift, right? Someone that speaks into your life at the right moment, that gives you wisdom when you most needed it, that's a gift, A word spoken at the right time is valuable and beautiful like a golden apple in silver settings. So it's both valuable. I mean, imagine gold the size of an apple. Like that's some pretty sweet value. But it's also beautiful and ornate if you have it set. These gold apples in like silver settings, like seems beautiful, all right? So um, that's exactly what advice and encouragement is like from experienced and wise people to the young, and so this, here's a, there was a study that was done by Focus on the Family regarding the home. And guess what the most frequent comment from a mother was in the life of this study? I feel like a failure. Any moms and dads in the room relate with that? Yeah? Just like four of us? Okay, the rest of you are great. Um, I feel like a failure. So look. For those of you that have raised and released kids, consider what your influence could be in the life of this church. If that's what the most common comment out of a survey by Focus on the Family was for moms in the life of the home, I feel like a failure. Imagine you that has lived within the context of the community here. You make it a priority to be here on Sundays. 
You're in a, a community group and a discipleship group, so you're getting into the life of the homes where these kids are. You're around them. You're around the parents. You get to see them in the midst of their parenting, not just that group. You come over for meals. You invite them over to your home. Like, it's a mess, right? You're inviting kids into the life of your home, but it's a joy. You invite them in. You get to see parents in the midst of their work. You get to see them in the midst of relationships. Imagine what your voice could be for a parent that the primary voice is saying, I feel like a failure. And then you come in, you've seen the intentionality, you see the work that's happening in the life of their home and you're able to give a timely word. I can tell you right now, it would feel like a wind of breath, fresh air that's come light right into the life of the home by someone that has been there, that's done it and can speak a specific encouragement by the things that are happening in the life of the home. Here's an example for you, all right? So the church that I previously served with, there was a couple, Mark and Sharon Wardlaw. Um, this was a couple that every young family wanted in their life, all right? So they were in community groups, particularly, specifically with people that were younger than them. There was a lot of people in the life of the church that they, the, they had lived there most of their life, their kids were in these community groups, like the friend groups that their kids ran in. And so they didn't want to be in those community groups. They wanted to go and be with other people that were in their age range. Mark and Sharon Wardlaw, that was not their MO. They wanted to be in community groups with people that were of all different ages. And here's what they would say. They would say, man, I have learned so much what it's like to be a better grandparent and a better adult parent by being in a group with other people that are around my kid's age. They're able to say things to me that my kids would never feel comfortable coming to saying to me and has made us better parents for our, our kids as they're adults as well as our grandkids. But here's what they are incredible at. They're incredible at speaking encouragement into the life of young families by being in the context of relationships with them, so much so that all of their groups were always at max capacity and we we're always trying to figure out how do we multiply this group in such a way that we can have more of what's happening in it in the life of our church. People flocked to Mark and Sharon Wardlaw. You know why? because they were encouragers. And here's, here's the thing, all right? So these parents, they would come and they would ask them for advice, but it was never because the vice versa had happened. It wasn't because critique came and then they were able to encourage. They were constant encouragers to families. And then these families would come and they would bring their problems. They'd bring their failures. They'd bring all these things that they feel piling on. Mark and Sharon Wardlaw had earned a right to speak into their life because they were encouragers to families. Look, if the primary voice that's happening in a mom, probably dads too, is I feel like a failure, imagine what your voice could be, those that have raised and released kids and families that are in the throes of it right now. That's one thing that partnership between the family and the church can look like. But the church can not only partner with this in encouragement, but also by being real life examples, all right? So verse 20 that we had up here earlier says this, the one who walks with the wise will become wise, but a companion of fools will suffer harm. So one of the best things for our kids in relationships is with other adults who love and follow Jesus. All right? There's no, great, there's no greater wisdom than seeing your sin and seeking a savior. And our kids need to be around people that have done that. So look, if mom and dad are to be the first and second voice in our kid's life, 
We need a third voice that's coming and reinforcing what we're trying to instruct in the life of our home so they don't think mom and dad are just crazy. For those that don't have kids and like you're wondering, well, what can my role look like in helping see kids live a life lived full here, catching a glimpse of what the Bible is trying to portray them, helping them see who Jesus is and chase after Jesus. Well, imagine being in a community here and taking time at a group gathering where you would spend not time with just adults, but also with the kiddos. That you're building a friendship with them. That like you're getting down out of your seat and you're going and shooting hoops with them at our house whenever our kids are trying to play around the world or whenever there's a kid's table. Imagine the audacity that you would get up from the adult table and you'd go sit with the kid's table. We had um, Michael, uh, who's gonna be moving here at the end of the month, and Logan, that came and stayed at our house in February. And uh, they, would, they just kind of did life with us that week. You know what my, the week that my kids talk about the most outside of Disney World this past year? It's the week that Michael and Logan came and stayed with us. They looked up to them so much. Oh my gosh, like sitting around a table and working through devotionals in the life of our home and Michael and Logan being there and being a part of it, it was the best thing that they had ever experienced. It's like they wanted them to move in, right? (laughs) They loved it. I heard a yes from one of my kids. Look, you can have such an influence on kiddos even if you've never had a child in your life. The influence that you can bring and showing them that loving Jesus and following Jesus and having interest in their life will be immeasurable in what the influence of coming to know Jesus in their life looks like, all right? So let me give you another example. So we had a few families that were great at this in the church that we previously served at as well. Matt Smith was a guy that worked in the kids' ministry. Then you also had Gabe and Rachel Kelly. They served in the student ministry. And here's the influence that they had. So we had a pretty large family ministry that was at this previous church. And so we had constant baptisms that were happening with kids that came to know Jesus or students that came to know Jesus. Here's the beautiful thing that happened. In all these baptism testimonies, you know whose names kept popping up? Matt Smith and Rachel and Gabe Kelly because of the influence they had in kids' life. So here's what they would do. Like they would invite, like Gabe would invite middle schoolers to come over and have overnight stays with him where they'd play video games and he'd do whatever video games they have, a bunch of have a bunch of junk food that they would eat together. Just every parent's lovely like nightmare. And uh, they would, but he would have intentional conversations with them about Jesus. Like he, he would come on a Sunday morning and during the midst of a Sunday gathering, he would get away from talking with other adults. He'd go pursue some of these students. And you know what he would talk about? Sometimes he would tell them about what he had learned from like his Bible reading that week. He would be asking them about what were some things that were happening in their week and he would speak into their life. And this always, I cannot tell you, I cannot underemphasize this. Like every baptism testimony, when these Guys like Matt and uh, Gabe and Rachel, every time that they were involved in a student's life, 
I, pr- I guarantee you their name was in a baptism testimony every single time. And it was like they were weeping every single time these kids were getting dunked in water because they saw what it was like to walk with them through the very outset of them coming into a kid's ministry or student ministry and then giving their life to Jesus. It was something that was monumental, not just for that kid, but for that person as well. Look, I think that's Jesus' vision for the church. That it's not just like this once a week gathering where we come, we do our thing, and then we go off, and then we have our community group, we have our discipleship group, and like we get some more extra time with each other, but then it's just like we're hunkering down in the home, we're hunkering down at work. No, it's like this all life on life kind of thing. That you're getting to the mess, and that includes our kids. And the influence that it can have can be immeasurable. It not only like can speak and have an impact on your life, but the generations to come. So look, servant storytellers, yeah, absolutely. Get into a classroom and pick up some curriculum and help instruct our kids when we gather together on a Sunday night. Yeah, please do that. It's needed, absolutely. But invest. Like parents, make it a priority to invite people into your home that they get around your table and they get to have opportunities to rub shoulders with your kids. Like those that have raised and released kids, like don't give up. Don't be like, well, my time is over now. I just get to ride it easy and step in with just my own grandkids. No, like you're needed here. Parents, you're a God-given authority in your home. Take it, seize it, step in. It's absolutely terrifying, yes. But the place that is the most influence, like teenagers in a U.S. Weekly uh, like survey that came through, they asked, it was asked of them, who's the most important voice in your life? 70% of them said mom and dad. The influence you have is immeasurable. Like take up the opportunity that you have. So we started with this imagery of a discipleship, like a bike. You have the pedals of the home and the church. Well, here's another imagery that I think ties everything together for us. It's this quote from Childhood Education in the Church by Robert Clark, Joanne Brubank, Brubaker, Brubanker, (laughs) Roy Zuck. I should have practiced that before I got up here. So here we go. Here's Here's the quote. The Christian church and the Christian home are closely bound together. They're like Siamese twins. If you cut them apart, you may sever an artery of life and cause one or both to die. The church cannot function as she should in a disordered world unless she employs the home as her main reliance in Christian nurture. And I feel certain that the family cannot be a Christian family or a happy family unless it stays in the circulation of those spiritual influences of which the church is the great custodian. We have a great opportunity. The partnership between the home and the church and the influence and the impact that it can make can not just be felt in our lifetime, but for lifetimes to come. Let's step in. Let's invest. Let's not just think about a life lived full for us, but let's think about a life lived full for our kids. Let's pray.